Welcome to Second Wind with Joyce Buford, a program for and about women. Joyce Buford is a certified coach who has a passion for helping women who need a second wind. Joyce is the creator of Uncover Your Hidden Genius, a program that will help you live a life of greater purpose, fulfillment, and ease. As a certified coach, she studied directly with her mentor, Jack Canfield, author of the Chicken Soup book series, where she served as an assistant to his training program. Through her study with many prestigious coaches and mentors, she has created a powerful program that has positively impacted hundreds of people. On today's program, Joyce and her guest will help you learn how to get your second wind. Now here is our host, Joyce Buford. Good morning. Welcome to Second Wind. I have a question for you this morning. We're going to start out with a little question. Have you ever wondered why you were here on earth? Why did you decide to come to earth? What was your calling? What was your purpose? What is your purpose? Are you living on purpose? Well, those are pretty big questions. And many times we find that we get to a place in our life, midlife, later life, that we sit down and we ponder that very big question. What is my purpose? Because once you find your purpose, there is such fulfillment if you're living in the in the essence of who you really are. Now, could it be that we are all born with a gift, a set of talents, aptitudes and inclinations to do something special? Ah, what a great thought. Well, this was the work of Edgar Okay, Casey, in the 1930s and 1940s, Edgar Casey was known as the sleeping prophet and lived in uh, Alabama, Selma, Alabama. Yes, even after all of our early programming, starting at birth, and continuing through our growing years, from our families, teachers, friends, we still find ourselves asking that big question. And our guest today will help us understand why that is the question of not just this generation, but past generations. So let me share with you some information about Dr. Mark Thurston who is our guest today. And he is going to referring and sharing to, with us his new book, uh, Discovering Your Soul's Purpose, Finding Your Path in Life, Work, and Personal Mission, The Edgar Casey Way. So let me tell you about Mark. Mark is an, is an educator, a psychologist, and an author of more than a dozen books about personal, spiritual, dream psychology, meditation, and mind-body well-being. Among his publications are The Essential Edgar Cayce, published in 2004, and Willing to Change, The Journey of Personal Transformation, 2005. Mark worked for the Association of Research and Enlightenment and Atlantic University in Virginia Beach. 
for almost 36 years. In 2009, he moved into a new phase of his own soul's purpose, becoming the director of educational programs for George Mason University Center for the Advancement of Well-Being. In that capacity, he focused on teaching undergraduates and graduates courses about consciousness, mindfulness, and the science of well-being. On the softer side, Mark and his wife of many decades, he says, Mary Elizabeth Lynch, are co-founders of the Professional Personal Transformation and Courage Institute, a nonprofit educational organization begun in 2000 that offers small group learning intensives. Mark and Mary Elizabeth are partners of two adult children. Welcome, welcome, Mark. We're very anxious to hear all this good information you have for us today. Thank you, Joyce. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, and I made that transition without even asking, but I do hope you will allow me to address you as Mark versus Dr. Yeah, of course. That's fine. Okay, great. So why do we always come back and ask this question? It seems to, it's been with us over generation after generation, it seems. Why is it, why is it such a, and it just comes to us like this has got to be more than this is good. Yeah. just can't be all there is. Well, there's something in us that, that is hungry for meaning in our lives. We want life to make sense. Mm-hmm. And so in, in one way, we're all looking for meaning in terms of a purpose that maybe everybody shares of why we're in bodies, why we're in the world, why we face the challenges we have. But I think at a more individualistic level, each of us is also looking for a personal sense of calling or meaning what we're really mm. here to do to make a positive contribution in the world. Mm. And, it, and you've studied with the uh, Edgar Casey through most of, when did you start studying with him? Not with him, but uh, his work. Yeah. Studying his work? Yeah. Oh, I was a senior, I was a senior in high school um, in the late 1960s. And after school one day, I was watching the Mike Douglas TV talk show, and yeah. Edgar Casey's son, Hugh Lynn Casey, was on the show. Now, Edgar Casey had died in 1945, but mm-hmm. his son was keeping active the work around his father's teachings. And they were on the show with a man named Jeff Stern, who had just published a book that had become a bestseller called The Sleeping Prophet. It was both a biography mm-hmm. and also an overview of Casey's life. And I was so enthralled by what I was hearing on this show, I went and got that book and then started reading a lot of books about this man's spiritual philosophy and approach to spirituality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I, he's fairly new to me. You sort of introduced him to me, so thank you for passing this on, because I have found it fascinating. I Googled him last night and became very, he was, he is a fascinating man, Um how he made his transition from from being um, n- not a strong student to being a very 
through an experience becoming a good student. And it just takes you through all the transitions that this man went through to become almost a psychic, which was unknown of that day and time. And yeah. he never wanted to take money <laughs> for his gift. Well, that's not totally accurate. I mean, there was a part no? of his life when there was a part of his life when he supported his family largely through having an organization, the Association mm-hmm. for Research and Enlightenment, that people could join. And then mm-hmm. once people joined, they could get a reading for free. But, but in essence, they were paying for a, a reading from him by joining his research organization. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, you made your own personal transition um, in 2000. And why did you feel this was necessary for you to do? Yeah. So in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm continuing to live the same sense of purpose for my life in terms of being Uh an educator and trying to create learning structures where people can get a new sense of themselves in a hopeful and positive way. And for, as you said, more than 30 years, I worked at the two organizations that Edgar Cayce founded in the early 1930s. Mm-hmm. And um, one was an academic program that has a master's degree in transpersonal psychology, and I was academic affairs director for that um, mm-hmm. school, Atlantic University. But then the membership organization that studies his readings and has a massage school and information about his holistic health treatments and so forth, where I also worked for many years. But then I had an opportunity to teach college students about this stuff, and it seemed like I w- was ready to focus on the a population of emerging adults. There's something very mm-hmm. special about working with 19 to 24-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would be exciting. Instead of waking up at the age of 40, 50, and reflecting back on what is the purpose of my life, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be proactive and help them sort of grasp that big question yeah. from well, up I think front? There are these turning points in life. One of them is, you know, the classic midlife crisis, late 30s, early 40s. And another can be, you know, in our 60s, maybe as we're winding down a career or winding down parenting. Mm -hmm. We have a sense of, oh, I got 20 or 30 years left. How am I going to use my gifts and talents in a constructive way? But certainly Mm -hmm. this, this age of kind of leaving home, going off to college or even for those who don't go off to college, beginning to shape a sense of their individuality in their own home and their own career. That's also a turning point time where this kind of material is especially effective. Yeah. Um, I wish colleges offered something like this just automatically as part of the curriculum. I think it would be so helpful for their students to find some direction. Do they offer something like this? At most colleges? No, I think they don't at most colleges. We're really lucky at George Mason University, which is in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. It's the largest public university in the state of Virginia. We have 35,000 students. And we got some funding from a husband and wife and their family foundation to start a center here around mindfulness and well-being and consciousness studies. And so the courses are all elective courses, but... I think a lot of students who are taking them are, are learning life skills that will help mm-hmm. them in whatever career path they're going to follow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, it it would have helped me, I know, open a few doors as I'd started out on my career. Um, So is there, when somebody, do you feel that this generation now that you're working with, the younger people when you were working with them, do you find that they're asking more questions than comparative you did? I think they're asking the same question. So I, I'm you do? a baby boomer, and I remember when I was in college in the late 60s and early 70s, we were really asking yeah. the same questions that kids are asking now. I think, mm-hmm. though, that the, the millennials, as they call this generation, uh, most of them grew up as digital natives in the sense that they grew up with smartphones and computers and a sense of the interconnectedness of life. Mm-hmm. And that that bodes well in terms of their willingness to find the inner connections as well. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of flexibility around spirituality. There's more um, literacy around different spiritual traditions and a willingness to sort of put together for themselves what's going to work in a personally meaningful way. Right. Yeah. Well, where does somebody start if they want to, if they, they're in the confused and they're asking themselves this big question, what do I do? Uh, I'm, where do I find my purpose? What's step one? Where do I go? Good, yeah. So what I'm trying to do in this book, Discovering Your Soul's Purpose, it's actually the second edition of the book. I uh-huh. published one in 1984 with the same title, and the new volume has about 30% new material. It's arranged around a five-step process. So step one, borrowed directly from the way Edgar Casey gave advice as a spiritual advisor to individuals is to clarify your personal spiritual ideal. To really Mm -hmm. spend some time, do a little self-inquiry, clarify what you really believe in, what your core values are, sort of the foundation on which you want to build your life. And I I think we need to really do some reflecting around that. I mean, it's easy to have a quick and simple answer, oh, love is at the center of my life. Okay, Mm -hmm. but what does love mean? And Are there other qualities that go alongside love that deepen that or or give it more practicality. So this is something a person could spend weeks or even months, really, reflecting on in a deep way. Yeah. Um, you have so many good exercises in this, as I was reflecting, like finding your talents and starting with loving yourself and getting to know who you are. I'm. There were so many good um um, I'm going to call them exercises for lack of a, another yeah, word, a good word, that they yeah. can kind of walk through. It's a great tool the, that you provided here. And is that the main difference? Why did you feel like you needed to do a second edition? Well, um, when I first study, started studying this material carefully, and it, it makes up maybe 15% of Edgar Casey's work um, Two-thirds of the psychic readings that Casey gave were about the physical body, and he was mm-hmm. really a pioneer in natural, holistic remedies. But there are um, about 2,000 individuals who got advice from him, or he was acting almost like a life coach or a spiritual advisor in helping mm-hmm. them to find their calling in life. And as I read through over many years, but that was my job working there at his center, Um, Mm -hmm. All these readings, what I saw was a pattern or a template that he seemed to follow, and um, I started doing one-day workshops in 40 or 50 cities around the United States, usually about 75 or 80 people at a time, 
on this topic. Mm-hmm. By 1984, I thought I had enough experience with this that I could write a book around how this works. But since 1984, I've done a lot more workshops. I've worked with a lot more people. I've also done more study about some of the social science research about how we find meaning and value in life. And mm-hmm. I just felt like I could write a, a book that was a little richer and a little more broad-based, and hence the new the new edition. Mm-hmm. So you, have, I know you've traveled extensively doing your workshops, right, all over right, the world. Yeah. And this is a common common question for all of us. Um, Nationality is not making difference, right? Everybody well, is wanting to I've know what is everywhere. the purpose. The places I've been, this is a common question about what's the purpose of my life? How do I find meaning? How can I make a positive difference? Mm-hmm. Even in a world that's struggling with just daily survival, does it? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I haven't done workshops in, in the more impoverished parts of the world, but I, I think those who have and those who've studied um, so, sort of the human condition say that everywhere people are looking to have happiness and to have right. meaning and have connections with others, and that, those are sort of universals. Right, yeah. Can a person have more than one a purpose does it change with um um as they age does their purpose change or is it a purpose to help people is that an umbrella type of purpose purposefulness in layers as i said earlier i think we probably all have the same purpose at some level but that we're all here as human beings to try to bring the qualities of spirituality into mm-hmm. individual expression. We're here to bring love into the earth. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of different ways to do that, but I think that's a common purpose that we share. And then I think each of us has a calling and a sense of gifts and talents and sensitivities that can be used in a way that makes a contribution in a, in a really special way. And that's a little more individualistic. And then we also have a purpose around clearing the way and getting rid of the things that sabotage Hmm. that calling. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's what changes more often over the years and over the decades, that what gets in the way becomes new challenges and new obstacles. And so we have to develop strategies and approaches for just staying clear and healthy and capable of using our talents to make a difference. Mm-hmm. I I was interested, um, found it interesting, your personal transformation and courage institute. Uh-huh, yeah. I, the word courage is interesting to me because, of course, you're talking transformation is change. And it, there is a an amount of certain amount of courage that we all need to face that change. How did, why did you put in the word courage? What does that mean for you? Well, I really like that word just as a psychologist in terms of (laughs) people. I also (laughs) am very fond of one of the statements Edgar Cayce said to a person who was trying to find and live his calling. He said, a person without an ideal is in a sorry state, but the person who has an ideal and not the courage to live it is sorrier still. (laughs) You know, I, I, that really touched me. 
that mm-hmm. it's it's really too bad when a person doesn't have a vision for their life. But in some ways, it's even worse when somebody's got a vision and they aren't willing to take some risks, mm-hmm. have have the courage to kind of put themselves out there. Right. Does a lot your work? Of I work with people who have a sense of their soul's purpose, and they really come to the workshop because they want to start getting rid of the obstacles that keep them from being courageous. Mm-hmm. Are those the fears and the doubts that we all have to deal with? Those are doubts. Yeah, those are fears. That are those are kind of internal voices that say you're not good enough, or somebody oh, yeah. else can do it better. Or what happens mm-hmm. if you make a fool of yourself? Or <laughs> where are you going to get the money to do it? I mean. Yeah, we all yeah. have those kind of limitations. All those. Yeah. Well, this is a prime, this is a perfect audience because we are all in transition. I think everybody's in transition, actually. Um, as long as we're on Earth, I think we're transitioning some more, um, uh, more um, life changing than others. But, um, I do think that we're always adjusting to new situations, such as I just had some remodeling. This is very simple, simple, simple remodeling done. And I found the adjustment to the construction and all that very stressful. And it was just like, ah, I'm always transitioning. Isn't that simple? That's so simple. But we all face those. It's nothing like a life or career change or you know, a divorce, but um, those little simple changes are always part of our life. Yeah, there's a strong compulsion most everybody feels to have sort of uh, for things to be static. And I mm-hmm. think we need to distinguish between outer conditions just being fixed as opposed to finding an inner stability that allows us to move through an ever changing world with a sense of peace of mind. And yes, we do want some places of stability, but that needs to be an inner stability because the, the outer world is always going to be changing. And if we don't embrace that, we're just going to be frustrated. Mm. Yeah. When, when you, um, since my audience are usually women going through transition, where would you say they need to start if they're beginning their transition? With the well, inner we wanted to use yeah if we wanted to use this framework about discovering your soul's purpose we could say mm-hmm. that every time we go through a big transition maybe like empty nest mm-hmm. going through a big change in your primary relationship or yes. going through a big health challenge in a sense that's a doorway into another room let's say of the house of your consciousness and mm-hmm. if you go through that doorway there's going to be some new phase of your life's purpose there in that room. Mm-hmm. And so how do you use the difficult challenge that going through that portal may entail to have a sense of sort of rediscovery and kind of reinventing yourself and reinventing your life? And I think going back to step one that you asked me about a few minutes ago is really mm-hmm. valuable. Okay, I'm going to revisit the question of what do I really believe in? What are my core beliefs? What are my core values? What's my spiritual ideal? And then I think maybe taking up this second question that we haven't talked about yet, which is what are my, what are my key assets and talents and gifts and strengths? What did I come with into this lifetime 
that are real soul attributes that I'm supposed to be using to make a difference in the world. And as we move into a new phase in our lives, sometimes that involves using the same gifts and talents but using them in a new way. So we may have had accomplishments and achievements when we were parenting or when we were in our previous job. And now there's going to be opportunities to take some of those same gifts and strengths and find new ways of using them. Mm. Well, you also you also mentioned looking at your failures and trying to find the good that was in the failure. Yeah. I thought that was really good. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, I'm really fond of several um, sources in addition to Edgar Cayce's work when it comes to uh-huh. calling and life purpose and meaning. And one of them is Viktor Frankl, F-R-A-N-K-L. He was a German psychiatrist um, who was a mm-hmm. Holocaust survivor. And mm-hmm. Most of his family died in Nazi concentration camps. And He came out of that and developed a whole therapeutic system called logotherapy, and it's basically a therapy that focuses on meaning and purpose in life. Mm -hmm. And he says there's three areas in life where we can live our purpose, where we can find meaning. One is the work that we do. Another is in deep, loving relationships, social situations. And the third is in how we meet adversity and challenges and failures. So he's pointing out that anytime we're facing some failure or some disappointment or some illness or some loss, in a sense, that's an opportunity to bring the very qualities of our soul into that situation and sort of allow our light to shine in the midst of it. And if he can do that in a Nazi concentration camp, I think he's demonstrating what the human spirit is capable of. It's hard Mm -hmm. work, but what we're capable of. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think we think that in failure we have those strengths. And sometimes we overlook that we have those strengths. But there certainly are qualities that I can remember in my own transition that sort of popped out and said, gave me courage or or strength to go through a transition that I found difficult. So. That was very interesting, I thought, that you brought that out. I I went and visited this past weekend um, a friend, um, a woman in her mid or late 20s who's family friend who's in prison for five years. Oh. uh, It's really remarkable how she has made a conscious decision just to try to be a light where she is on a daily basis in Mm -hmm. terms of bringing hope to the other fellow inmates, in terms of trying to spend time. Um, reading uplifting material, having prayer time each day, going to Bible study group, just trying to be a positive influence among these other women that she's around who are really discouraged and feeling a lot of hopelessness. Mm, It was really inspiring to me to see how she just made a conscious decision to make something positive out of what everybody else was seeing as a big failure in her life. Well, we are going to take a short break here. What a great way to to leave for break with that inspiring story because that really takes courage and to realize you can be a guide instead of um, succumbing to the pain of a situation. So when we come back, we will be talking more with Dr. Thurston, and he will share with us more about his wonderful book that I've so enjoyed, Discovering Your Soul's Purpose. 
So we will be back shortly to have more discussion. Transformational coach, motivational speaker, and author, Joyce Buford returns after this short break. Would you like to know how to bring more ease to all the decisions you need to make in life? Knowing your core values is the first step in Joyce's free live masterclass. You'll discover your top five core values in as little as 45 minutes. Join her now at freegiftfromjoyce.com. Close your eyes and imagine living your life without limits. Where would you go? Who would you meet? What would you do? During an Uncover Your Hidden Genius session, you will discover what's keeping you from living your life with purpose, passion, and fulfillment of your potential. You'll get a clear vision of the steps you need to take to uncover your hidden genius so that you can live a life without limits. Sessions can be done over the phone, Skype, or in person. Find out more at www.JoyceBufordEmpowers.com or by calling 903-287-0747. Welcome back to this segment of Second Wind. Joyce Buford, the creator of Uncover Your Hidden Genius, continues in this segment to share insight that will help you live a life of greater purpose, fulfillment, and ease. Now here's our host, author and coach, Joyce Buford. Well, we are talking today about discovering, reuniting with your purpose. And Dr. Mark Thurston is our guest today. And we are going to continue um, with the, the steps that you need to go through to when you begin the quest of what is my purpose? You may quickly want to go over one and two, um, Mark, if you would, just to refresh our mind and continue with yeah. three, four, and five. Yeah. As I was saying earlier, when I um, studied these individual sessions, almost like spiritual counseling sessions that Edgar Casey did for nearly 2,000 people, and they were stenographically recorded and then typed up, so we have the archival records of them. What I saw was sort of a pattern that he would follow as he did this counseling and coaching and mentoring. And the first step was to sort of lead a person towards deciding what they really believe in, what their spiritual ideal is, sort of a foundation or a bedrock of uh, of their life's journey. And then second was to take an inventory of what they could see are their key talents and gifts and strengths. And sometimes we can see these from accomplishments and achievements that we've already had in life. Other times we just have an intuitive knowing that we have a certain gift or talent, even if it hasn't gotten into the game of life yet. We, we just can feel it's there as a potential. And I like to ask people to come up with five or six of these gifts and strengths. Then the third step in a Casey life reading, as it was called, was he helped coach the person to see a statement of calling or of life purpose. And when I've done workshops around this, I invite people to write a first draft of their mission statement, even if it's mm -hmm. very long, and mm -hmm. knowing that they're probably going to refine it in the weeks and months ahead. 
And rather than it naming just a single job or a single occupation, it needs to be a little broader and be a little more thematic. Let me give you some examples of this. Um, one person was told, and your, your audience will like this because it has the word transitions in it. <laughs> one woman was told that her calling in life was to help other people through the difficult transitions of life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's lovely because it, it, it offers her the opportunity to find jobs that might do that. But also, she she could live that just in her way of being with her family or her community and her neighborhood. She could live it towards herself. So it's more of a theme in life than it is just a single occupation like a butcher or a baker or a candlestick yeah. maker. Mm-hmm. And then the the fourth step is to come up with an action plan. If this is what I think my calling is, what are the next challenges and opportunities I could undertake to live that and to express it and not try to shoot the moon and come up with, a, you know, something that's going to be a, a little bit unreasonable, but rather have little baby steps in that direction. Mm-hmm. What could I do in the next 60 days? It would be a small step towards living that kind of purpose or to train and prepare myself to be more capable of something bigger in, in this direction. Some kind of an action plan. And then the fifth step is to watch for reinforcing signs that give support and say, hey, you're on track. And there were about seven of these that your KC identified over the years for different people. One, for example, was to experience flow or to have things sort of falling into place, that Mm. the people you need, the opportunities you need, sometimes even the money you need seems to come with to you. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Another was more joy in your life, not that you're going to be ecstatic, you know, 18 hours a day of your waking life, day after day. There's going to be down times. Life will continue to have difficulties and challenges. But he said a person who's living his or her calling, living his or her mission, will experience greater joy in life. Mm -hmm. Synchronicity is another thing to watch for reinforcing signs or sort of um, indicators to, to say this is you're on track. Mm-hmm. Carl Jung coined the term synchronicity. It's not a term that your TC used, but he describes virtually the same thing. So just watching for, for signposts along the way. And if those aren't happening, we really got to go back and kind of maybe go back to step three and let's try again to fashion a mission statement and try this all over again. I love when that happens in my life, when I think about something and then in a week, maybe next day, in the future, it appears. I love that. Don't we all have those synchronicities? But do we recognize yeah, and they them? probably happen more often than, than we recognize. I, yeah. I'm especially fond of a book called Callings by Greg mm-hmm. Lavoie. I even use it in my academic courses here at George Mason University. And Lavoie is an investigative reporter. He went around the country and interviewed people who thought they had found and were living their calling. Mm. And synchronicity was a big factor for people, both in discovering their life's purpose and in finding encouragement and even guidance in how they express it and live it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's it. Yeah, we need we need those signs along the way because they do bring us joy. Um, you know, I've shared with you that I just finished writing my book, um, "Uncover Your Hidden." Um, 
no, uh, effortless happiness, which is dealing more with your core values. And one thing we kind of did, I talked about core values and you talked about talents and I approached them. They're very similar, um, in identifying your core, core values and your talents. Can you help clarify that for me? Well, I guess in the way I, I, see Edgar Casey using those terms. The core mm-hmm. values are like step one. It's sort of mm-hmm. getting a foundation on which everything else is going to be based. And then mm-hmm. the gifts and talents and strengths are kind of more like the the lumber that we're using to build something on that foundation. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Um, where could people go if they want to get your copy of your book? Because I know after we go through this and I'm raving about all the great information you've included in this book, that they're going to be anxious to get their copy. Yeah, thank you. Well, I mean, the easiest way is just to go to a web page. My name, Mark Thurston, run together as one word, dot com. And that actually takes you to a bio page on the website for the organization that my wife and I started, Personal Transformation and Courage Institute. Mm-hmm. And when you're on my bio page at markthurston.com, there's a pl- there's a link over to Amazon for the book. There's a place where people can leave me an email message. There's a place where they could leave me their email, and they can be on my mailing list. I occasionally send out links to um, audio talks or video talks that I've done. Mm-hmm. And there's also a little tab that says resources. And if somebody clicks on that tab, in the audio resources, I have half a dozen guided meditations. And if anybody's interested in deepening their meditation life or widening the options or just learning to meditate, I think these 10-minute guided meditations can be really valuable. So that's the resources mm-hmm. tab after they've gone to markthurston.com. Now, a little further a discussion about meditation. Um, you know, in studying meditation through my journey, I, it goes all over the place. Some people have you doing 30 minutes. Some people have you doing 10. Some people have you doing an hour. How does one arrive? I even know one lady that does three, three-minute meditations a day. And I'm, I'm like, how does one decide which is more beneficial or, um, first off, I guess we probably even need to discuss why would one meditate? What's the importance of meditating? Yeah, I, I think, um, I guess a phrase that I like is cognitive fitness. Just as we can <laughs> talk about physical fitness and everybody knows what we mean by, yeah. by physical fitness. Right. Is, is there a level at which the mind is more healthy and more mm-hmm. fit? I think it makes sense if the body can be fit, the mind can be fit. And in order for the mind to be fit, it has to be able to be attentive, to be focused, to be open, uh, to be stress-free, to be relaxed. And these are all features and qualities that live inherently in the mind as potentials, but it may take some training. And mm-hmm. there are traditions, hundreds if not thousands of years old, coming out of ancient wisdom traditions about the mind-body connection and mental fitness and cognitive fitness. We can do this within the context of a religious or a spiritual quest, or we can do it in a more secular uh, way. Um, Mm -hmm. And over the last 30 years, there's also some extraordinary brain science 
that's just giving greater credence to some of these traditions that are ancient. Mm-hmm. So there is the many different forms of meditation. You have on your website uh, a breathing meditation, um, yeah. naming meditation, uh, and then three-minute meditation. Um, yeah. Why would you have so many variations of meditating? I guess the primary reason is because I've found in the 40 years I've been trying to work with meditation that it, at different points in a week or at different points in a month, I have different needs. And, oh, very uh, good. Having a variety mm-hmm. of resources to draw upon. Um, mm-hmm. So there are times when life is just hectic and busy, and maybe three minutes is the most that we can catch realistically. Mm-hmm. Can we do something useful even in three minutes? And so the, the little guided three-minute meditation, actually the audio recording slightly longer than three minutes because there's a little introduction to it and then the actual meditation and a little closing but um mm-hmm. that that's kind of for people who just want something they can quickly turn to i i think though joyce you were asking earlier about you know wh- where do we start do we do the half hour mm-hmm. meditation do we do the 10 minute one i think mm-hmm. there's some brain science that suggests that we probably need to work up to at least having 10 or 15 minutes for certain things mm-hmm. to really begin to quiet down in the mind mm-hmm. uh, we live in such distracted circumstances, you know, cell phones that are connecting us to each other and to the Internet so quickly. If we're watching TV, there's visual jump cuts in the way television things are edited every two seconds. There's a new image. I mean, it's sort of scary to see how often our brains are being assaulted when we're watching mm-hmm. television yeah. or with the theater. And so we need just to work with the fact of the matter physiologically about how stressed our brains are. And it probably takes 10 or 15 minutes to really begin to quiet the mind. Well, I like that you mentioned, and it's so true, and I get this all the time with new meditators. They go, well, I can't quiet my brain. I mean, I'm I'm always thinking about ranging or the schedules or, you know, mothers and very busy schedules. And you're right. There's a meditation on your page for different situations that you might be going through, and you might need more to focus that day. On your meditation, the three minute was a wonderful intro. I felt to somebody that was really new to meditation, explaining yeah. the meditation. Yeah. So the first and, minute is just a, it's just watching your breath, maybe even counting your breath, mm-hmm. maybe ten inhalations, exhalations gets you to about a minute. And then the second minute is to choose a word, some core value for you, and just let your attention rest on the feelings in you that that word evokes. If your mm-hmm. mind drifts off, that's okay. Just come back to the word. Mm-hmm. And then the last minute is to send positive thoughts and positive energy or prayer to some people for whom you have concern so that you're just uh, you're, you're affirming that the meditation isn't just for yourself. It's for the greater good of the world that you're even having this quiet time. Well, as I was doing it this morning, I even thought about the forgiveness thing, that we all have somebody in our in our past that we need to forgive or offer forgiveness to. I thought, well, this would be, would be great. You say praising, which could be praising, but you could also be forgiving, offering a, a positive toward a person you're trying to forgive. What a great tool that would be. Yeah, probably the most famous and ancient meditation of this sort is called the loving 
kindness meditation. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a it's a it's it's one of the ones that I've recorded there, a variation on it. It involves moving you through a series of people to whom you send love and kindness, starting mm-hmm. with yourself, <laughs> and then somebody <laughs> who you find easy to love, somebody that you find rather <laughs> neutral, and then mm-hmm. somebody that that you need to forgive. Kind of working your uh-huh. way up to opening your heart to somebody that your heart may have been closed to for a long time. Yes. Yes. And which one was that? Of those the loving listed? Kindness. The loving kindness. Oh, I see meditation. it. I see it. Yeah. 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 Well, I really recommend listeners that you go to this page just for your beginning um, steps into meditation. It's um, very helpful. I thought it was a really good page. Kudos to you, Mark, on that one. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I liked it. I think maybe more than anything else, having a regular practice of some contemplative, reflective, meditative discipline every day is probably the most important thing a person can do around finding and living their calling, around Mm -hmm. being healthy, around having cognitive fitness, around being happy. It's really, really valuable. Yes. Yeah. Um, is the, on the website, another thing that I liked is that you offered your programs, which are, are four-day retreats. We have, Yeah. Mary Elizabeth and I have small groups that are usually a dozen people or so for three or four mm-hmm. days. And mm-hmm. we're working a lot of times with some of the blocks that get in the way of a person really blossoming spiritually really being mm-hmm. able to live their calling. Um, mm-hmm. one, one of the workshops is on uh, vision and courage. Another is mm-hmm. on awakening the compassionate heart. It, these are all kind of the basics of spirituality. We do it in a very ideal-centered, meditative, supportive, safe kind of environment. And we particularly like working with a group of 8 to 15 people. I think there's something really potent nice about doing sense. this in community yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the people that come are give us give me some idea for the listeners to know would they fit in? Would they be? Is this professionals? Are they housewives or mothers? Or well, we've been doing these workshops for seventeen years now, and Mm -hmm. I would say far and away the biggest group has been people between forty-five and seventy who already have a bunch of life experience, and generally they're going through some transition, kind of like you Mm -hmm. said, your very audience. They're kind Mm -hmm. of rethinking their life and their priorities. They want to make positive use of the next phase of their life and let go of any resentment or baggage from the phase just ending. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we try to yeah. structure this so people only go as deep in self-inquiry as they feel safe doing it, but to know they, they're, 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 there's a way to go about this in a healthy and safe way. Mm-hmm. So if you would like information for um, Mark's work and Mary Beth, Mary Elizabeth, excuse me, she must be from the South. Is she from the South? She's from Missouri. <laughs> so am I. We're both born in Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's a good state. I was raised in Arkansas. So um, it's Mark Thurston, M-A-R-K-T-H-U-R-S-T-O-N 
com, and there you'll find the meditations, the bio, the work that that uh, would be interesting to you, and you could find direction to order the book on Amazon uh, from that website also. Um, you know, we always kind of ask the question, if we find our purpose, is that a purpose that will bring us enrichment in the fact that will it be, bring us financial re- enrichment? Will it bring us a healthy life? What what are the rewards of living on purpose other than peace? Yeah, that's a great question, isn't it? Um, I think one of the things when we're living our calling that happens in us, not only mm-hmm. do we see the lives of others benefiting, but what happens in us is it begins to um, recalibrate our sense of what we need. Maybe we even begin to get a new definition of what it means to be rich or what it mm-hmm. means to have our needs met. So when a person is frustrated and feeling kind of empty and they have expectations about what they need, it may be a very different answer when they're really on purpose and living their calling. Um, mm-hmm. I think another thing that... Um, it gives us a sense of wonder and a sense of life opening up and expanding, a, a sense of the freshness of life. When we're not on point, when we're not on track with our calling and purpose, we easily get bored, we easily get frustrated, we easily kind of fall into a sense of inertia. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we, at whatever age we are, uh, mm-hmm. I'm getting closer and closer to 70, and newly a grandparent, and I know I'm looking for things that keep me feeling fresh and make mm. me feel like there's so much more still to discover about life. And I think when we know our calling, there's always something next to do with it. And that's why we want our calling to be worded in a way that's broader than just a job from which we might retire. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I do think that once we are living on purpose and we are experiencing more happiness, that it opens up so many doors of possibility because we live in enjoy, basically, and that allows us to draw joy to us in fulfillment. Um, I want to share, I was doing some research and I asked on Facebook about what one of the challenges was. What one of the challenges was that people in midlife experience or they were experiencing. And the, it was so interesting. Um, I got a lot of men responding to that as well as women. And also, the, I got a lot of discussion about what's midlife. Everybody was like, I think I'm past midlife, as if they didn't have a question <laughs> or a concern. But it was so interesting to me the different when you know when you pose an open question like that on Facebook or any open media, you this the answers are so surprising that you get back. And um, I just found that I'm just sharing that's, that's that. That's a real riddle, such, though, isn't it? I mean, that yeah. really is a riddle of what does it mean to be at midlife. I, I would suggest that there's a kind of biological answer to that in terms of mm-hmm. a lifespan and what the years would be in the middle of that lifespan. But another way of looking at it would be we're at midlife any time we stand in in the middle between a past and a future. And so 
to the extent that we see possibilities and have hope for the future, and we're letting mm-hmm. go of the old and the familiar, we're standing at midlife. Mm-hmm. So somebody can be 90 years old and still have enthusiasm for what's ahead, and from that perspective, they're at midlife because they're still stepping into a future and out of their past. Mm-hmm. I like that. I'm a little ahead of you, uh, Mark, in the age group, but I want to tell you, I still feel feel as though I'm in midlife. I'm, yeah, you know, yeah. I feel very energetic. I have, I'm looking toward the next project, and it was so, it just stunned me. <laughs> That somebody would ask that question. Just tell people you're at the prime of life. <laughs> at the prime. We yeah. are, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yeah. yeah. Well, what would be the next thing that you are you're looking forward to doing in your in your career or I know it should be, you know, it's I think it's so wonderful that you have this this career with your wife. Um yeah, I think that's awesome. Lovely. She was an attorney, a ther- a psychologist yeah, and an attorney. She, she, she was an attorney, yeah. She was doing a lot uh-huh. of mediation work, helping people through conflict. Uh-huh. And now she's helping them uh-huh. resolve their inner conflicts using a more spiritual approach. <laughs> I like that. Well, you ask what I'm excited about coming up. This mm-hmm. weekend, I'm traveling from the D.C. area where I live down to Virginia Beach, about four hours away. Mm-hmm. And I have a meeting that I've organized with 30 other psychologists, coaches, and psychotherapists. Mm -hmm. We're going to be doing a gathering on Saturday and Sunday about the interface of spirituality with the helping professions. Wonderful. I'm I'm really looking forward to this, just kind of being supportive of each other in our professions. And Mm -hmm. I really feel like the, the Casey work and its legacy is largely going to be lived through the professions, the way it impacts teachers, the way it impacts healthcare providers, the way it impacts mm-hmm. coaches and psychologists and so forth. And I want to encourage your listeners to, to study this guy's work if they aren't familiar with him. He has an mm-hmm. unusual spelling for his last name, C-A-Y-C-E, Edgar mm-hmm. Casey, mm-hmm. dot org, dot O-R-G, and there's just a huge website of resources about his teachings that's available there. Yes. I was sharing with somebody yesterday, and she said, oh, I'd love to listen to his meditations. Does he have some meditations on there? Would he have that? No, No, maybe maybe she was listening to you, Mark. Yeah, maybe so, because he he passed away in 1945, and there's there's only one little wire recording that was made of him actually giving a reading, and there's a few little video clips, but this was, he died before the... uh, Audiovisual era really blossomed. Yeah. Well, it must be you. You have a fan out there for sure. But I want to share what a great time I've had this morning interviewing you. It's um, it's just been a pleasure to be exposed to your work. Um, And I'm going to take advantage of that book, the exercises that you've used in there, and share them with my clients as well. so I'm really looking forward to doing more in-depth study of your book. So thank you very much for bringing this to our you're, awareness. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Joyce, it sounds yeah. to me like you're living your soul's purpose, so you keep up your good work. Oh, good. Thanks. Well, it's it's a joy to uh, bring this message to women in transition. 
as we all are. So thank you very much, Mark, for being with us this morning. My pleasure. And keep up that good work. I wish I were a fly and I could go with you to that meeting. (laughs) I'd be the fly in the wall. (laughs) So thank you. Um, You know, transitions are part of our lives. And if you are going through a transition now that is major, that is shaking your whole world, that's adding lots of doubt and fear, then I recommend you go to this book, Discovering Your Soul's Purpose by Mark Thurston, that you sit down in a quiet place and begin your journey. Go to the website and start with a meditation and then move forward. This is your gift this week. Buy this tool, implement it into your life, and it will help you go through that transition. So I encourage you to have a great week. Know that you are special, you are full of promise, and tomorrow is another beautiful day. Thank you for being with us today. As always, we look forward to you being here next week. Thank you. Bye. Joyce Buford returns next week at this same time for another edition of Second Wind. Through the Joyce Buford Empowerment System, women are receiving support during their transition and are able to reclaim their true purpose and strength. They receive the tools they need to map out new lives. You can find out more about her coaching services at 